What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. And Daryl. On today's show, I'm not even going to talk about this at <laughs> no. all. You're fired. No, I'm out. <laughs> I am out. But fortunately, Daryl has two amazing guests who are going to talk about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah, and not just two amazing guests, but two of our Story Geeks family members. So yeah. we have our two bloggers, Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder. They are both Harry Potter fans. Ashley's a big Harry Potter fan. It gives us a chance to show off our bloggers and help you get to know them a little bit better. Jay's not on this one. He hates Harry Potter. No, that's not true. (laughs) No, but what I might do is leave my thoughts about the topic like you can do if you're listening on the Story Geeks blog. So go over to thestorygeeks.com and you can find all of our other content out there as well. More than 120 of our past podcasts blog posts by the aforementioned Ashley and Anthony. And for those who support the show on Patreon, we have all of our premium content on there as well, including the Story Geeks Aftercast. And ironically, I will be on the Aftercast. Yeah, too. so don't fret. You're not there's not you're not going to miss Jay altogether on this show. He That's is going right. to he's going to chime in, but you're going to have to listen to the Aftercast to do that. We do hope you support the show because you'll get access to that Aftercast as well as everything we've done in the past and everything we've got coming in the future. Don't miss out on any of that. For more information and more great content, including the Aftercast, just one more time, thestorygeeks.com. What's coming up next week, Daryl? Next week, we're going Disney. We are looking forward to the release of Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, yeah. And so to celebrate that, we're going to be counting down our top 10 favorite Disney animated films. Nice. We're giving Pixar the boot. We're not talking about Pixar at all. And we're going to dig deep into Disney with Corey from No Midnight and Angie from Network 1901. Friends. And Disney experts. And Disney experts for sure. Yep. And then the week after that, we are going to start talking about locations for the first time. We're going to talk about Gotham and Metropolis with Eric Malinsky from the Imaginary Worlds podcast. I cannot wait for that. So thanks for listening in, everybody. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now listen to Daryl, Anthony, and Ashley dig deeper into fantastic beasts and where to find them. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Ashley and Anthony. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Doing good. It's exciting to be talking to you guys. It's always fun to do the blog, but it's fun to be on the podcast as well. Yeah, that's what's going to be fun about this episode. So you guys listening out there, you've, I'm sure you've heard us say this so many times, but just to reiterate, Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder are our guests today, and they are also our bloggers. Woo-hoo. So if you've been to thestorygeeks.com, you've seen their awesome content. So thank you guys for all you do there. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. I, hey. Thank you. I think it's fun to do. <laughs> well, this is our first foray into the wizarding world. We're going to be talking about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them as we look forward to the release of Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald which, as we're recording this, comes out in just a little bit less than a week. So let's just start off real high level. What did you guys think of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them? Ashley, why don't we start with you on that? Sure. So I am actually a fairly recent convert to the Harry Potter fandom. I watched most of the movies and read most of the books over a couple months in 2016. So I kind of got a whirlwind crash course in Harry Potter. I love, love, love the Harry Potter books and movies. I enjoyed Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I don't think it hit on quite the same level for me that the Harry Potter series did, but I do love the characters that were introduced in Fantastic Beasts, and I'm really curious to see where they go in the sequel. I think there's some really cool things they can do with the universe. 
Yeah, for sure. Anthony, what do you think? Well, I'm more from the uh, the other side in that I, I've been a fan of Harry Potter for a while. Um, and yet I hadn't seen this movie either. For whatever reason, I'd, I hadn't been avoiding it. I just had not gotten around to watching it until just a couple of days ago. And I enjoyed it. But, you know, kind of like what Ashley said, it's definitely not Harry Potter. In fact, I think I like... I liked the movie more because it reminded me of Doctor Who than it did of Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure, as we keep going here. Well, you've already said Harry Potter and Doctor Who, so we're covering a whole new corner of our fandom that we've been neglecting <laughs> for two years. So. And also every actor the BBC employs. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, I'll go even a little bit farther down than you guys. I've... So I haven't read any of the books, but I have seen all of the Harry Potter films, um, and I really enjoy most of them. I think the later in the series, the more I enjoy them. Um, and like you, Anthony, I wasn't avoiding Fantastic Beasts, but I hadn't just I hadn't gotten around to it. I didn't get to see it in the theater, and I saw it on sale on Black Friday for like three bucks on Blu-ray, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll pay for that. So I bought it, and then when I finally got around to watching it, I actually loved it. And I like it more than any of the Harry Potter movies. Interesting. So I haven't I just, seen... Uh, I, I've only seen the first three or four movies, so I'm basing my stuff all only off of my knowledge of the books, or my experience of the books. Sure. I think for me, what I like about it is it focuses more on characters than it does on the magic stuff itself, mm. which I think the later Harry Potter films do as well, which is why I like them more. So I just think there's some great characters, which makes for great storytelling, in my opinion. There are. And I think there are some really cool places they can take these characters as they go forward in the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely felt like, uh, uh, I mean, this was a, a fine movie on its own, but it's very clearly setting up the trilogy that was, you know, it was always planned to be a trilogy of movies, right? I've so. actually heard five films. Or five? Oh, of course. Why, why not uh, make <laughs> another $2 billion? Yeah. Why stop at three? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it is more, um, there's more uh, stage setting in some ways with these characters. I mean, like the fact that Johnny Depp's only in it for what, like a minute and a half? <laughs> yeah. I was okay with that. We'll talk more about that later <laughs> on. <laughs> um. But we're already talking about the characters, so let's let's go there. There's a ton of deep, rich characters in this movie. Um, so I'm curious who stands out as kind of your guys' favorite characters in this film. So, Anthony, why don't you kick us off on that one? Uh, well, I do enjoy Newt. I think he's uh, a fun... No, fun's not the right word. That feels wrong. He, he really... Charming. Ah, yes. Charming works. He very much reminds me of Matt Smith's take on the Doctor uh, from Doctor Who. You know, he, he's, he, he seems, he always seems confident and he, like he knows what he's doing. He seems smart, like the smartest person in the room. Um, even if he isn't, he still kind of pretends to be. But he's kind. He's, he's not... Um, He's not uh, angry. He's not proud. Uh, he's he just wants to help, right? Yeah. And so, 
even though I guess he's in one sense, he's the protagonist of the story, but he really, again, I'll say sets the stage again, I suppose he sets the stage for these other characters to really flourish, um, you know, to play off of, uh, especially, um, Kowalski. <laughs> I like yeah. Kowalski too. I think he's really, uh, really enjoyable. Um, as uh, well, what do they call it? There's a term for it, like the the character in the story that the audience is supposed to identify with. You're supposed yeah, to, yeah. That because that's definitely Kowalski, I think, and uh, yeah, and he's really heartwarming, especially. Um, you know, I, I felt pretty sad at the end with the rain scene. Oh, I know. It's like he was dying. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, but it's how it felt. <clears throat> yeah. Ashley, what do you think? Well, I'm actually kind of just going to have to copy Anthony here. I also really (laughs) liked Newt as a proud Hufflepuff myself. It was cool to see a Hufflepuff hero in the movie since you don't get a lot of that in the Harry Potter movies themselves. Do they call that out in the movie that he's Hufflepuff? You know what? I don't know that they do. I think you have to go like into the background information to find that. But okay. I, I was excited to see that, and mm-hmm. I kind of like his his awkwardness. I think is endearing, and <laughs> it's interesting. We get a little hints of his backstory that maybe he's kind of been hurt or betrayed in the past, so he has a hard time kind of trusting or relating to people. But it's really cool yeah. to see him start forming those friendships and opening up and um, get to be a little more trusting. And I also just love all his creatures and the kindness and concern that he shows for them. So I think he's just a really sweet, interesting character. Again, interesting to see what he does in the sequel. And I also really love Jacob. Um, I love seeing his wonder as he's encountering this fantastic world that's completely beyond imagination. And he just kind of goes along for the ride. And again, like that scene where he's in the rain just makes me tear up. It's so sad because he's been on this wonderful adventure and then yet he's going to have to give all that up and never remember it. So I, I really like those two characters and how they interacted together and looking forward to seeing more of them for sure. Yeah. I think endearing is the perfect word for Newt. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the word you just used and that's exactly it. Yeah. I also, I'm going to have to go, I really like some of the darker characters in this film. So I really like Percival Graves. Um, so we'll talk about the, the Grindelwald twist later on a little bit. But I really enjoyed Percival Graves. I really liked Credence. I thought he was a super cool character. Oh, I feel so bad for him. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, and I really liked Jacob as well. And he surprised me. Okay, so there's something about these characters that really surprised me. I feel like when I was going into this film, I had a handle on what they were going to be like because it's got that strong 1920s vibe. And a lot of them sort of have a way about them that has been cliche in a lot of films, you know, especially Jacob and um, Queenie. And you just, you sort of think you, you know those characters as soon as you see them, you've already got them sized up. But they're so much deeper and so much more interesting than you expect them to be. Yes. And Jacob is really sort of the shining example of that for me. I wasn't even a big fan of that actor. And then seeing him in this movie, now I totally like him. Now he's on The Walking Dead, and I'm like, sweet, this guy's awesome. So. It was interesting. I actually liked the characters even more the second time I saw this movie. I watched it right before we did this recording to kind of refresh my mind of the plot and everything. And mm-hmm. I actually liked the characters even more than I remembered. They really grew on me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I don't often... Uh, Queenie's character in particular, um, that kind of character often just kind of gets on my nerves. The right, I know, kind of right? whimsical. But she didn't. She really made it work in a kind of sweet way. Yeah. Like how she's constantly reading Jacob's mind, and, <laughs> and he loves it. And, like, that's really cool. I yeah, don't know why. Like, I don't know if it's just the voice that she uses or... <clears throat> the fact that you know she's kind of flirtatious and stuff like that like you just feel like you understand her right away and then and, you find out nope i don't and she gets a pretty awesome um kind of badass moment when she rescues the folks from the uh, macusa yep yeah, that so, was great. which is also unusual for that kind of stereotypical character every there were several times when they said macusa that i thought they said yakuza and i'm like why are they talking about the Yakuza in a Harry Potter film? <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. What do we think about Newt as a hero? How do you guys think he stands up compared to Harry and Hermione and Ron and some of these other famous Harry Potter heroes? Ashley, what do you think about that? I would say uh, kind of at first he doesn't feel as iconic as Harry, Hermione, and the other ones you mentioned, but I think that's just because we know all those characters so well. We've followed their journey through multiple books and films, so I think that we'll come to understand and love Newt even more as we see more of these movies. And again, I like that he's a little bit different. He's a little more he's not as outgoing maybe as some of these other characters. There's a lot, I think going inwardly in Newt's mind that we only catch flashes of. So I don't think we've seen all that he has to offer yet. And I think that people will continue to like him even more as the series goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Anthony, what do you think? So I think that, uh, Ashley, Ashley's point about him being a Hufflepuff is is really important. He's the perfect Hufflepuff hero uh, because he's he almost seems reluctant to be doing a lot of the things that he's doing. He just wants to get his creatures. He just wants to take care of of his animals. And oh, okay, I guess I'll stop this dark wizard. But he's in a way that's different from the Gryffindors, who are you know they're jumping headfirst into the fray. No, he's more concerned about uh, you know these kind of other things, these these relationships, and and yet he's still able to be heroic so yeah i think it's a really um really nice different take if he was exactly like harry or if they tried to make him exactly like harry and ron and hermione um i don't think this movie would have been nearly as interesting oh yeah it would have felt totally redundant Mm -hmm. yeah i what i love about him is that he's mysterious i like that he's got a history you know, with, with Ron and Harry and Hermione, it really feels like you're uncovering the Wizarding World with them, and it feels like you're sort of on the same page as them the whole time. Whereas with Newt, it feels like there's so much more about him that we don't understand, which I feel makes him so much more interesting to me than those other three. And I, 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 mean, I think Eddie Redmayne played him beautifully. I love how kind of shy and awkward he is and... He does this. Did you notice when he's running, he like he runs sideways? It's like I, yeah, I it's, don't know really know how to explain it, but it is. It's just it's awkward. And when he walks, it's almost got kind of like a Chaplin vibe to it, yeah. like a slight yeah. waddle, you know? Uh huh. That's so, clever. I mean, that's the kind, that's that's good acting right there. Yeah. I wouldn't think of that. 
Yeah, for sure. So and uh, yeah, and so I'm super I'm super excited to see the second film because you know, we're obviously we'll learn more about him. We'll learn more about his connection to Dumbledore and to Grindelwald and the Lestranges. The Lestranges, yes. yeah, seriously. That was just a a couple of mentions there. I'm really so, intrigued about that. Forgive forgive my lesser Harry Potter knowledge here, and maybe you guys know this, but the Lest- were the Lestranges mentioned in the Harry Potter franchise proper because I feel like they were. Oh yeah. Okay. The Bellatrix. Bellatrix oh yes, Lestrange. of course. Duh. Yeah. That was um, Helena Bonham's Carter. Helena yeah. Bonham Carter's character. Yeah. So, with the timeline, Lita Lestrange might be. I don't. I don't know. And I don't know if Lita Lestrange specifically has been mentioned elsewhere, but she m- might be like a mother or an aunt or something like that. Yeah, and then we know the second film also has Nagini in it, which is Voldemort's snake. Yeah. Have you heard... I, I know this is speculative, but there's the fan theory going around that she might actually turn out to be Voldemort's mother as well. Oh, no, I hadn't heard mm. that. Yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I forget what... I don't know. But that, we'll find out <laughs> next week. I, like, I forget what the... You know, it's one of those one of those great fan theories where you need like a bunch of string on your wall connecting the different pictures and scribbling stuff on newspaper clippings. But yeah, we'll see. Fan slash conspiracy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm curious what you guys think as far as the relationship between the magic people and the non-magic people in this film. Um, you know, whether they be called muggles or nomadges, depending on the the English or the American versions. Um, it certainly seems like there's more conflict in this film than I thought maybe there was in the Harry Potter franchise, but let's talk a little bit about the relationship between those two. Anthony, why don't you start us on that? Uh, Yeah, so this is something that we don't really get very much of in the Harry Potter series proper, because other than the Dursleys, you don't really see any of the main characters interacting with muggles regularly. Um, and yet here, it's, it, I mean, it's set in New York City, right? So it, it, they're surrounded, constantly interacting. They're not locked away in this protected secret school where it's basically free of muggles. So just that alone is going to make this wildly different. Um, and... So I'll be interesting to see how they develop this in in the next movie or movies, because it definitely seems intentionally more antagonistic. Like in Harry Potter, it really seems like the Muggles do their thing and the humans do their thing, and except for when the Muggle Prime Minister like gets the visit from the Wizarding. Prime Minister? Is that what his term is? <laughs> yeah, I forget. But, like, uh, you know, like they, they interact, but it's very segregated. And, and kind of here, the wizards in New York really seem more judgmental, perhaps. Even just in the name. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about the etymology of, of muggle versus nomad. Uh, I mean, muggle, I'm not sure, actually, where... How, how Rowling developed that word. Um, but it's, 
I mean, Nomad, how to put it? It's intentionally putting one, it's, it's defining, it's defining one group in terms of not being the other. Right. right. And so, yeah, it's, it's more immediately belittling perhaps. Yeah. So maybe this is also something that they're kind of, uh, maybe it's part of the time, time period too. It'll be interesting to see if maybe they do away with that name by the end of the Fantastic Beast series or something. Oh yeah. But what do you think, Ashley? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said, Anthony. I think the term nomad is very interesting. I think it's a lot more antagonistic and elitist than muggle, which I'm going to use the word endearing again. Muggle kind of almost sounds like an endearing name and something to be kind of protected and respected because they don't have magic. We need to kind of safeguard and shelter these people, whereas nomad is kind of like pushing them aside. Like they don't have what we have. We're better. And just the kind of tension between those two people, like the the people without magic don't trust these wizards and the wizards are um, don't trust the people without magic. So it's just very interesting to see that dynamic. And I'm kind of glad they decided to go there because again, you just don't want to have a repeat of the Harry Potter series. So I think the relationship between the wizards and the muggles is something they didn't really explore. And it's a great opportunity to explore here, especially in the 1920s when you'd be dealing with other issues, kind of like racism and some class struggles. So I think there's a lot of interesting things they can play on within that. Yeah, you know that uh, this, the sequence at the beginning when it's flashing through all of the newspapers? Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't do this, but I, want, I wanted to go and, and like, I'm sure that you can find frames online of all the different newspaper headlines. Because uh, as they're flashing through, there there were some, it looked like there were little comments here and there about uh, some of the stuff that you were just, just talking about, um, some of the kind of social interaction. I was specifically thinking about if wizards are in America, what did that, I was thinking about the Civil War and what yeah. that looked like. Like, how did that go down? And I, I don't know. So, uh, it... As long as these movies keep making money, I'm sure that there's going to be people who are willing to try and develop some of those storylines, but we'll we'll see if that ends up being a good idea or not. Yeah. It seems like in this film, there's a sense that the wizards and the nomads are almost on the brink of war, at least from the perspective of the wizards. It's weird because it almost feels like all of the wizards feel that tension, but only a very tiny subset of the nomads feel that tension and they're kind of like the fanatics. The rest of them sort of don't even know what's going on. And, yeah. And then there's this difference in ideology. It seems between the American wizards and the English wizards as well. Like Newt certainly doesn't have the same sensibilities as any of these American wizards. And he thinks some of their practices with nomads are crazy. He calls out that they can't have relationships and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. What is that about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's a rule. <laughs> it's about like the Jedi rule, right? No attachments. Yes. Yeah. Or, uh, it, also, it made me think of the, uh, American practice at the, uh, probably at the time too, of having separate water fountains and things mm. like that. Yeah. I'm curious if you guys think that any one of these groups are more enlightened than the others, be it the English wizards, the American wizards, the nomads. You know, they all have their different perspectives. And do you think any of them are right or at least on to something more correct? Ashley, what do you think? 
So I think this is one of those cases where there's some truth on both sides. I think um, the wizards want to be safe to kind of practice magic, and there's a lot of good they can do in the world, but they also need to be mindful of those powers, and there need to be rules governing how they use that so that the muggles and the peoples without magic are still protected too. So I think that there needs to be a coming together where they both recognize... um, each other's concerns and the good things that they can do and that there's kind of a mutual respect that happens there and I think that this series is going to explore that and hopefully get them to that middle ground or at least I hope that this is something this series well as a nomad obviously we're right what do you think Anthony (laughs) but (laughs) well I I keep (laughs) waiting for my owl to show up man you're not a wizard it's nothing yet no I I think that um, <laughs> you, I think with this tension that Newt is kind of thrust into the middle of, you know, he doesn't really seem to understand it either. You know, why the muggles, we should say, are so, or why the wizards are so antagonistic to the muggles and almost like afraid of them. Uh, and you do kind of get a sense of this a little bit, I think, in the books when they're talking about this time period where the movie is set. I mean, you don't really learn a lot about Grindelwald until the seventh book, but they do kind of mention things here and there, especially in the sixth book and the interaction between the, uh, between the two prime ministers, the the Muggle prime minister and the, um, I I can't remember what they call the, the head of the wizarding community in in Britain. But you get the sense that whatever happened at the early part of the 20th century, Grindelwald was like responsible for fomenting some of these bad feelings between muggles and non-muggles, you know, that, and you definitely see that here in, in the movie. You see him, you know, trying to, trying to stoke the, what might be just like a little tiny, set of embers of of fear he's trying to stoke that into outright violence uh (laughs) for reasons that maybe the movies haven't really made clear yet but uh, other than the fact that he's evil (laughs) so i i uh i I don't really think i I think i yeah I'll, i'll go with ashley too and say both both of these sides you can kind of sympathize with which is what makes it so easy for grindelwald to play them against each other well he's magneto right i mean if you put it in x-men terms he's basically magneto he's he's stoking the fire of this of this uh struggle yeah to protect his group because he thinks wizards or mutants for magneto are the you know that they're the oppressed ones we need to rise up and and we're the ones who should be in charge yeah that's a really good analogy well, you know, anytime I can put things in terms of comic books, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you, so we see a much darker picture of the treatment of children in this movie. You know, it seems like in the Harry Potter franchise, for the most part, children are nurtured. You know, you have Hogwarts, you have the school, they're being trained up, they're being taught, they're being equipped. And then here we see this group of fanatics, you know, the the Salem group, and obviously children and young people being treated very, very poorly and very darkly. And, you know, we think of Credence, we think of the other kids that were there. So I want to talk a little bit about that portrayal and, you know, what part that plays in their involvement with magic. 
So Ashley, do you want to kick us off on this one? Sure. I think Credence is a really fascinating character. And like you said, it kind of goes into some darker areas that um, the rest of the Harry Potter franchise hasn't really delved into before. It's, you know, just so sad to see how he has been abused and beaten down. He's just terrified, just kind of a shell of the person he could be in a more nurturing environment. And he's repressed this magic and just locked it inside him. And then it results in this very dark and dangerous force. And um, I believe we see at the end of the film that he's not quite gone yet. He'll be returning. So it'll be interesting to see kind of now as he starts to use his magic is he going to go to the dark side? Is he going to use it to help people? It'll be interesting to see how his background kind of plays on that. Um, so I'm just very curious to see where they go with that character. But again, very tragic to see the consequences of the abuse that he has dealt with. Yeah, for sure. Anthony, what do you think? I am glad that I didn't watch this with my kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking about it, uh, and I still think the, the the older one would have probably been been fine. But but there were several things in the movie, mainly when uh, when uh, Credence took off his belt. Oh yeah. Oh. How they don't they don't oh. have to really. I mean, it's subtle. I, I was thinking. I'm not sure if my kids would even understand that, but I do, and that is heavy yeah Uh, so yeah it is much um much rougher for for kids here in in this in the 20s in america rather than in this cushy wizarding private boarding school in britain Um, i suppose when you put it that way it's probably not that surprising but the uh, yeah, this movie is more, um, it feels more like a build-up to war, I mean, right. which I guess is the point. By the t- it, it feels like this movie starts where the fifth or sixth book gets you, you know, where in the tension between all of the different characters. It just immediately, you can tell, things are rough here, and that's pro- problematic. Yeah, it, you know, at Hogwarts, you really see them developing these kids and giving them the chance to grow into who they were sort of meant to be. Whereas when you look at Credence and look at these other kids, they're just getting hammered on and they're having their individuality and their life force just kind of beaten out of them. And it's like you're just this little piece of trash. And Credence, you know, he gets called a freak to his face and he just turns around and walks away because he's like, oh, I guess I am a freak, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's so heartbreaking. To uh, reference something else that we haven't referenced, uh, it actually, that scene when he's called a freak, uh, and, and that's still at the point where they haven't really revealed that Credence is the one with the powers and they're making you think right. it's, it's the girl, right? But they still, they show her seeing it. So you know something bad is going to happen to that dude. Oh, the uh, music is... Yeah, I mean, it, like it's yeah. so clear. It yeah. reminded me of uh, the, the TV show Supernatural, actually. Uh, how there's... Because that's something that they do where there's p- kids with powers and they can't necessarily control them and people get hurt. So it, this movie 
kind of like that show. I mean, it, it plays more almost, almost in the horror kind of genre than yeah. the Harry Potter series proper. Yeah, this film gets really close to horror, especially when they're going to execute Tina. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, That's in dark. the death water scene. or oh, Yeah, I thought that she was just going to... Before it, before you realize that the water is like magical or something, I thought yeah. that they were that she was just going to jump in and drown herself, which I thought, oh my god, that is yeah. really dark. I mean, <laughs> I the, the way they did it is still pretty bad, but yeah, yeah. And then like the the nurse or the orderly lady that's with her, she's like, "Don't that look good?" Like that's <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> it's very so dark. And they already knew each other's names, so it's like, were they already friends before you're about to go kill her now? I don't... It, <laughs> I guess. Oh, I have, forgot about that. So, total side note, have you guys ever seen the pitch meeting videos on YouTube? There's a guy named Ryan George that does these comedic pitch meetings and points out all the ridiculousness in movies and stuff like that. No. I haven't either. Well, he did one for this film, and... um and it's basically, it's him talking to himself. So he plays both characters. He plays the, the guy doing the pitch and the studio exec receiving the pitch. Mm. And um, he's, he's describing this scene. And um, he's like, and so they put her over this thing and they're going to execute her when these, you know, these big dangerous death waters. And the guy's like, oh, like a dead pool. He's like, no, no, don't call it that. <laughs> 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 but... Yeah, the whole just the whole concept of the obscurious and where that comes from, and the fact that it comes from like these repressed, tortured children is so heartbreaking. And I agree with you, Ashley. I'm I'm excited that Credence is in the second film, and I'm excited to see oh, where he is? it takes him. Yeah, oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, just a couple. What? Quick, there's a couple quick flashes of him in the trailer. Oh, this. Okay, yeah. I mean, I was already kind of interested in the movie, but now I'm really interested to see what they do. Because I like, uh, what's his name? Evan Evan Miller? Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if you want any more evidence, you can go online and look at the pictures from the premiere of the film and look at the outfit that Ezra Miller wears to it. I, I cannot overstate the weirdness of it. It was unique, hmm. for sure. He He looks like a... A black Michelin man. Yeah. What? <laughs> All right. You it keep really talking because I'm going to look this up right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. So as what you're looking that heck? up, oh my you see God. it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, listeners, if you go go out and Google Ezra Miller at the Crimes of Grindelwald premiere, you'll see what we're talking about. He looks like he's wearing a cockroach costume. He, yeah, he looks like he's he's just got a sleeping bag like duct taped to him. Yeah, like the puffiest sleeping bag ever. It's insane. It's probably nice that, and warm. He looks like so much fun. I, I mean, I know nothing about Ezra Miller other than his movies, but just he seems like he would be such a fun guy to hang out with. He's definitely a kooky guy. There's, if you, I mean, all the footage of him at Comic-Con for Justice League and stuff like that. He's yeah. a, he's an interesting dude for sure. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about the the big controversial thing about this film. I remember when this came out. And the reveal at the end that Percival Graves is really Grindelwald and Colin Farrell is really Johnny Depp. I remember people being upset about that. Um, I remember some people being excited about it. So what do you guys think? How do you feel about the Grindelwald reveal at the end of the film? Anthony, why don't you take us on this one? 
I'm okay with it. I, I mean, I don't really understand what people were angry about. So, and and maybe maybe I have less strong feelings about it because I don't really have any particular feelings about Colin Farrell <laughs> or Johnny Depp. <laughs> um, and I also I I had that spoiled for me before I saw the movie, so I was kind of expecting that. I mean, I I had forgotten, but. Um, so when it happened, I wasn't blown away. And I do think that they kind of set you up for for the reveal. Not that it's Johnny Depp necessarily, but I think they they do set you up to think that that guy is the bad guy all the way through. If you're paying close attention. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing that he gives, the, the necklace that he gives to Credence is the Deathly Hallows symbol, for goodness sake. So, like, it's... You, if you're paying attention, it, uh, yeah. so I, I don't really understand the animosity. But that's usually the case when fan, and I know the you know the story geese likes to talk about toxic fandoms. I usually don't <laughs> understand that do response. <laughs> yeah, so I'm okay with it. What do you think, Ashley? So I actually have two different thoughts about this uh, for the reveal that Percival Graves is actually Grindelwald. I really liked that. I thought that was a cool twist. Um, made me really intrigued to see where the story goes next. However, I wasn't as excited about the reveal that I believe is it Colin Farrell was the actor playing him is actually now the character is going to be played by Johnny Depp. I was really enjoying um, Colin's performance. I thought he was great as the character. He looked cool. Um, I think he would have played well off of Jude Law's Dumbledore in the next film here. So I was kind of disappointed. It's like, oh, I was really liking his performance. I wanted to see more of him. So while I did like Percival becoming Grindelwald, I kind of wish they'd stayed with the original actor. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think maybe that was part of the frustration because, you know, Johnny Depp is pretty polarizing these days, right? Like you either love him or you hate him. Whereas Colin Farrell is kind of more universally accepted. And I agree with you. I loved Colin Farrell's character. I thought he was super interesting. And I loved how mysterious he was. And obviously he he was up to no good. Obviously he was the villain of the story. But there was even still mystery within that. And then as soon as they reveal him as Grindelwald, it's like, okay, well now that's all gone. And even just the little bit of Grindelwald that we get of Johnny Depp's performance at the tail end of the film is already so different. Like, he's already so, like, over-the-top evil and stuff like that and not as subtle as Colin Farrell was. And, yeah, I was bummed. I really liked Percival Graves. Same here. Yeah, I wonder... uh, I, I think the reveal didn't really do much. Like, the, the big payoff for me, I thought, in the watching it you know, this couple of days ago, was that it served to highlight the foolishness of Macusa more than anything else. That's what, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. Like, it didn't really tell me hardly anything about Grindelwald other than he's evil, which we already knew. And Graves is Grindelwald okay, but... The fact that he was somehow able to insinuate himself into Macusa. So, like, is there actually a real Graves that Grindelwald was just impersonating? Or is, did he make up this 
person completely from scratch and and infiltrate it that way. Like there's other. So I guess I I know I don't know if there are plans to bring Colin Farrell back, but especially if he was just being impersonated. If there is a real Graves out there somewhere, um, then. You know, I, I could see it going that way. But, it, yeah, it, the reveal kind of, I, I can appreciate what you guys are saying. It really made the Graves character much more of, like, a prop than anything else. Yeah, and I don't know that we're going to get an answer to whether or not there was a real Graves. I just, we may, but I kind of get the sense that we're not, and that bums me out. So as we look forward to the new film... You know, we've talked about the fact that we get to see Credence again. We've talked about now we have Johnny Depp instead of Colin Farrell and maybe learning more about Newt and his past. What are your guys' hopes for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald? What are you hoping to see? Ashley, what do you think on that? So I am super excited to see Jude Law as Dumbledore. I think that's yeah. a great casting choice. I I love what I have seen in the preview. So that's actually the number one reason I'm excited to see this. I'm just looking forward to seeing him in this role and especially to get kind of a taste of how Dumbledore becomes the Dumbledore that we've seen in the Harry Potter story. So I think there's a lot of interesting character development that can come from there. I also really hope that we get to see some scenes with Newt and Credence together. Um, I really liked Newt's compassion for Credence that not a lot of other people shared and just um, concern about the darkness inside him and wanting to help him find the light. So I really hope that those two characters get some scenes together. And then finally, um, hope that we get to see more of Jacob and Queenie. Just really love their relationship. And we'll be interested to see how that develops, maybe unauthorized, because wizards in New York are apparently not supposed to have a lot of interactions with the nomadges. So just very excited to see kind of what comes of that. Yeah, for sure. Anthony, what are you looking forward to? I would uh, also yeah, echo the uh, excitement about Dumbledore um, because you don't really learn hardly anything of Dumbledore's past in the books, except that he had this connection to Grindelwald that you learned in the last book. There's, a, there's an interesting theory that I really like. I don't know if they'll play it up in the movie or if they'll mention it, but you, you learn in the books that Dumbledore's sister, something really bad happened with her, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there's the falling out between Dumbledore and his brother over it. And uh, it, it's never really explained, but I think there's a really good possibility that she was an Obscurial. Mm. Oh. Interesting. Uh, so that could be really cool if they mention, you know, if, if they, especially if Credence is going to be back. And Dumbledore's going to be in it. Like, ah, this could be this could be a cool way to confirm that fan theory. Um, and I am excited to see more of the way that the magical world interacts with the non-magical world. When they went to the speakeasy, and it was filled with like goblins and yeah. house elves and stuff, I thought that was amazing because there, there's. I know you kind of get that with Diagon Alley. But not really. Yeah, you don't, you don't get very much of that crossover in the in the Harry Potter series. So I'm, I I hope that we'll see more of America and and more of the Wizarding World interacting with the quote unquote no mages. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I, and I'm 
I'm excited about the Dumbledore thing too. I love the quick little offhanded reference in the first film where Graves is interrogating Newt and he asks, you know, why does Dumbledore, why does he care about you so much or something like that? And then Newt says, I really couldn't say. Like, mm-hmm. I just love all the mystery wrapped up in that and kind of seeing that answered in the second film I'm excited for. And then just Credence. Credence, Credence. I, I want to see more of Credence. I hope he has a big role to play in the story. Yes. I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of what side he ends up on. Oh, oh, there is one other thing. Because I think we've been talking for however long, and we have not mentioned Tina, I think, at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I kind of hope that she's... Div- I mean, I liked her, but... I think as our discussion has kind of gone, she ha- she was kind of, I don't know. I hope that they kind of make her more interesting or make her stand out a little bit more. Cause I, I, I liked her personality uh, and she clearly has connections with Credence again that they didn't really flesh out. Yeah. So uh, the fact that in the established Canon, Newt and Tina end up together, uh, and actually, oh, here's here's this would be good for Harry Potter trivia night at, at the bar. Do you know who their they have a son? Do you know who the son their son marries? No, Luna Lovegood. Ah, okay. Well, I think that'll do it for our discussion on Fantastic Beast guys. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, are there are there going to be blogs on this one? Are you guys going to go? In? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just wondering that. <laughs> what else is there to say? Hmm. Well, we'll see, guys. Keep an eye on thestorygeeks.com, and there may be more of this. Maybe you and maybe you and, and Jake. Yeah. Oh, yes. just flip everything, huh? Or or Jay, because you were here. That's true. He's so. just not doing anything. No, that's not true. <laughs> 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 um, well, if anything, you guys can go check out the aftercast. Um, listen to Jay and I talk a little bit more about this film and a little bit about sort of the controversy of magic versus spirituality and stuff like that that exists around the Harry Potter books and films as well. Well, that's it for today's show. Special thanks to Ashley and Anthony for joining us. As we've said before, you can go to the blog and check out the stuff that they write. They do a great job, and you can get even more perspectives on today's show. So go check that out. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, we're going to go into Disney and count down our top 10 Disney animated films with Corey from No Midnight and Angie from Network 1901. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on that. Yeah, over at thestorygeeks.com, you can also find our Aftercast, which I was not on the main podcast, but I will be on the Aftercast. And of course, if you want to hear additional thoughts from some of our bloggers, that's all over at thestorygeeks.com as well. All supporters of the Story Geeks gain access to today's Aftercast and all past and future Aftercasts as well. So for more information on that and all of the other premium content, and there is more of it, go check out thestorygeeks.com. Yeah, in fact, I'm doing a writer's commentary for our Time Slingers audiobook. And you can get that for $3 a month over on Patreon, so go check that out. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcasts, please share our show with a geek friend. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth.